you need, you need to get off the fence. There are a lot of fence riders. I've thought about it. I've thought long and hard about this. There's a lot of fence riding going on in our world today and in our church today. Okay, let me give you some examples. Like, you want to, like, lose weight. Man, you want to get in shape, but you also want to eat whatever you want to eat. Right? That's like a fence we ride. I got one foot in and one foot out. Like, man, I'm not eating. And there's another one. We want to save money, but we also want to buy whatever we want to buy. It's a fence that we ride. Uh, you want to spend time with the family, more time with the family, but you have this thing called a job and a career, and where's the balance? And, man, I got to do this. I got to get this done, but my, I also need to spend time with my family. Or maybe you've been wanting to start a business, maybe for years, and you haven't taken that step yet, and you're kind of on the fence, like, man, should I, should I go for it? Should I not go for it? Then there's other fences. Like today, some of you, you're living together, but you're not married. It just got real, didn't it? I mean, it just, it just really got real. You're living together, but you're not married. And I know that, you know, for some of you, uh, this is the case. And you probably feel like crawling under your chair right now. But can I ask this question? Like, what is up with that anyway? Like, you want the benefits and the perks of marriage, but you don't want to commit, fully commit to marriage? I don't know. To me, that's messed up. If I was a woman and my dude was like, I just love you so much. You're just the most amazing thing. How about we live together? I would say you need to step the back. And if you want to live with me, you better put a ring on my finger, boy. I know the ones that aren't clapping. I see you. You're living together, aren't you? It's like this fence I'm riding. I don't know. I love her. But I, hey, if you love her that much, if you want the perks, you know what the perks are, of marriage, you better get it right and get off the fence. I hope you ladies are at least hearing me. Okay. This is another kind of fence. Some of you, you, you married and you got a woman on the side. Yo, aren't you glad you came to church today to be encouraged and uplifted by PT? These are fences, but the most dangerous fence that we ride as human beings is the fence that stands between living for God and living for the world. Living for the word and living for the world. There's this fence, you know, we ride it. I got, I got one foot in like the Jesus yard and I got one foot in the world's yard. I, I want both. I want both. I want the blessings and the favor of God in my life, but I, I really don't, I really don't want to live sold out and all in for him. And the reality is, is that is actually impossible. You can't have God's favor and blessing in your life 
but be half in for Jesus Christ. And then there's others of us that are sitting on this fence of the next steps in our spiritual life. Like, what's next? You say, man, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I acknowledge him as my Lord and Savior. That means you're saved, you're a Christian, you're a spiritual baby. But just like a physical baby, God wants you to grow up. Sometimes we sit on this fence. It's like, man, I know I should take this step and get baptized, but I've been sitting on this fence for a long time. I know that I should get involved in church and connected and I should help serve and I'm just sitting on the fence. I know I should tithe. I believe the Bible is true and it talks about that I should give 10% of what I make back to the Lord because he's allowed me to make it all anyway, but I also kind of want to use that 10% for myself. It's a fence. We all ride fences at different moments in our lives. And so in your outline today, I want to give you four keys, four keys of action when it comes to riding the fence. Number one, you could probably already guess what number one is going to say, but it's simply get off the fence. Get off. Make a decision. Are you in? Are you out? Man, are you going to move forward? Go all in, get off the fence. I have found personally for me that riding the fence is one of the most uncomfortable and miserable places in my life. Like I got one foot in and one foot out. It's just not as comfortable as it might seem like it would be. It's because I have divided loyalties. My loyalties are divided. And because my loyalties are divided... It kind of deflates my passion. It creates instability in my life. I want to read to you in James chapter 1. These are the words of James. He says, do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. So that's what he's saying. He's talking about divided loyalties. They're unstable. When it comes to your relationship with God, some of you today are unstable. You're not out really, but you're also not in. You got one foot in, one foot out, and God wants you to get off the fence. Get off the fence. You'll never experience the fullness of God's blessing and favor in your life while riding the fence. Jesus also talked extensively about divided loyalties. Look at Matthew 6 with me in verse 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. He says, either you hate the one and you love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, Here we are, Jesus is talking about divided loyalties when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, but also this desire that we have for money. He says, look, you got to make a decision. You can't chase God and chase money at the same time. One of them is going to win. You can't run in two directions at once. 
it'd be like I have two dogs at home and I'm about to have a third dog at home. A little baby was born. And so we're going to have a third dog. But I only have dogs. We don't have cats because, as I've said, cats are of the devil. And they are weird, weird creatures. But I have dogs. They're going to heaven anyway. And so my, my one dog is a golden doodle. And, I mean, he is beautiful, beautiful dog. He is dumb, but he's beautiful, right? I mean, he is just awesome to pet and to play with. And if I take his little baby and I say, Scout, his name's Scout, I say, Scout, go get it, and I throw it. He'll go get that baby, and sometimes he brings it back, and sometimes he just goes and runs around with it, right? And then if I say, Scout, and I have two of his babies, if I throw them in opposite directions, he's totally lost, like, I don't know, I want both of them. And so he's just like going, like, which one do I chase? And it's kind of the same thing in our relationship with God is that he's saying you can't serve both God and money. Be better to get off the fence. Pick one. Now, he's not saying don't make money. He's talking about serving it because it can become, for some people, their master, that money becomes their God. And there's a lot of money chasers. Man, I just chase, 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 chase. And he's saying, great, that's the God that you serve because you can't chase God and money at the same time. See, money's supposed to be a tool. It's a resource. It's a tool, but for some people, you are the tool. Instead of mastering your money, your money, it masters you. And so he's talking about divided loyalties. That sometimes we become possessed by our possessions, right? It's like trapping monkeys. One way that trappers trap monkeys is they take a coconut and they hollow it out and they put some candy inside. And then they tie the coconut to a tree. And then they leave. Well, a little monkey comes along. He starts smelling and is interested. They're inquisitive little guys. And they go over the coconut and they're looking around. They realize there's candy inside the coconut. And they want that candy so bad that they put their hand in there. They grab the candy. And the problem is, is now that they have a fistful of candy, they can't get their hand out of the coconut. They want it so bad that they will not let go. They won't let go. They could be set free if they would just let the candy go. But they want it so bad that they've become trapped by their greed and by their lusts. And that's what we do as humans. We become possessed by our possessions. Instead of owning stuff, stuff owns us. Instead of mastering our money, it masters us. It's divided loyalty. It's a divided loyalty. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation, there's an interesting passage in chapter 3 of verse 15 and 17. Let's look at this together. He says, I know you inside now, and I find little to my liking. You're not cold and you're not hot. Far better to either be cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. You brag I'm rich. I've got it made. I need nothing from anyone. 
oblivious that in fact you're a pitiful, blind beggar, threadbare, and homeless. Now, these scriptures are intense, are they not? I mean, can you imagine if God audibly told you and said to you, I'd find little to my liking. I mean, you are disgusting. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're stagnant. You're stale. You make me sick. I want to vomit. That's what he's saying. This, this particular passage was written to a church in Laodicea. And so Revelation starts with these letters that were written to different territories, right? And this was a letter about this specific territory. They were full of greed. They were full of lust, full of material possessions. They had money. They were wealthy. It was a wealthy area. And so they were so full of the world's stuff that basically they became lukewarm in their relationship with God. And so God is saying, I need to go all in. I need to get off the fence. Let's look at number two. The second key is I need to focus on the mission. I don't know what your mission is. We all have a mission. The one common mission, maybe two common missions that we have, is that we're trying to live a life for Jesus Christ. We share that commonality together. You're at church today. I'm at church today. We're trying to grow in Christ. We are far from perfect, but the commonality in that mission is God we're trying to serve you. Another commonality might be, well, I'm trying to have a godly family. I want a great marriage. I want children that I'm raising in Christ. But we have all kinds of missions. Some of you, your, your career is a certain mission, and, and that's great. Some of you, it, it might be a financial mission, a retirement mission. It might be uh, you have a goal, you have a dream that you're setting out to do. We all have different missions. But when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to focus your life on moving forward. We're talking about spiritual growth, moving forward. Focus, 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 focus. You know that the devil is the king of distractions. One of the greatest tactics, tools, strategies, that the devil uses to take you down is distraction. He just simply tries to distract you. The very moment you say, I'm all in, Jesus, I'm all in for you, is the same moment that the devil opens up his trick of books and he starts trying to distract you away from living your life focused on God. Because he wants you back on the fence. He wants you on the fence because you have no power on the fence. He wants you on the fence because you cannot fulfill your purpose on the fence. He wants you on the fence you, because you cannot make an impact for Jesus Christ on that fence. I know because I've lived on the fence. I've lived on the fence. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I live like hell. And I live like I'm living for the devil. But I believe in God. I impacted no one. Nobody's life was better or moved towards Jesus Christ 
when I rode the fence. It was only when I decided, boom, I'm going all in, that God began to use my life to influence others for the cause of Christ. The devil knows the enormous impact that you would make if you went all in for Jesus Christ. He knows all of the friends that would surrender their lives to Christ, family members that would surrender their lives to Christ. He knows that there would be alcoholics set free, drug addicts set free. People would find hope. So he wants you to stay lukewarm and on the fence. So he distracts you. It's one of his techniques. You know, I think we've watched too many movies. Some of you, you know, you think of the devil in the form of like a boogeyman. You know, he's like scary and wicked and evil. But the truth is, is that in 2 Corinthians 11, the Bible says the devil comes and he disguises himself as an angel of light. Why does he do that? The devil's not going to come. If you ever thought you saw a scary, wicked devil demon, you probably didn't. It probably didn't. Because what would that do? If you saw the ugliest demon in your whole life, what would you do? Tell me, what would you do? I would run, run. Like, they know the devil doesn't want you to run from him. He wants you to run to him. So he's going to appear as an angel of light. He's going to appear in a way that would pull you in, that would be attractive to you, that would be enticing to you. See, the devil knows that as humans, we have attractions to distractions. So if you're a married man and you have a beautiful wife, the devil's going to come at you and there's going to be some other lady that walks in the scene and he's trying to distract you so that he can take you down, so that he can ruin your life. And in the process, he can ruin your children's life and your children's children's lives. That's what he does. That's what he does. He comes in the form of an angel of light. It's things in our lives that we go, ooh, that looks amazing. I would love to have that in my life. Look what he says, Jesus says in Mark 4.19. I want us to read this verse out loud together. Mark 4.19. Ready? Here we go. The attractions of this world, the delights of wealth, the search for success, And the lure of nice things, they come in and crowd out God. What is he saying? That you can't have nice things? That's not what he said. He's saying you can't be successful. That's not what he said. But just a minute ago, I said instead of us having things, a lot of us in here, things have us. We are owned by what we own. We are possessed by our possessions. So he's saying, look, the devil, he's got this bait. He's got these lures and he's throwing it out in front of you. And he knows your weakness. He knows mine. So he's putting a specific bait on a specific hook and he's going, yo, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. He's saying, look, I'm going to lure you. I'm going to lure you. Some of us, man, I want to be successful. I come from a family of nothing. Maybe I'm insecure, deeply, deeply insecure. I just want to be successful. I want to be known as successful. I want nice things. I want to make a lot of money. The attractions of this world. It's so great. So great. Man, I've been running and I got so much money. 
I have so much money. Look at all this money. I got this nice house, these nice cars. I got three, four, five houses. I got, I got a travel house, a guest house, a beach house. The beach is beach house. I mean, I'm good. Look at all this stuff I've collected. I'm successful. I, man, look at all this. And you've got so much earthly stuff that it comes in and it squeezes God right out of your life. It's not that you don't love God. You do. But the devil can't come to you and go, denounce Jesus Christ, because you would say, I'll never do that. Denounce him. I'll never do that. I love Jesus. So he knows I got to be slick about it and I'll just distract you. Chase money. Chase material. Chase women. Chase men. And he comes at our weaknesses. I don't know if you remember the story. Jesus was tempted by the devil in Matthew 4. And the Bible says that Jesus had been praying and fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know. How many of you ever fasted? Anybody ever fasted in here before? You fasted? About 14 of you. That's it. 14 people have fasted. How many have ever fasted? Okay. How many have fasted for spiritual reasons? Okay. And what about medical reasons? You're going to have surgery or something. And you know, it's just like the devil. Doctor is full of the devil and he puts your surgery at 2 p.m., right? And you're like, now I can't eat breakfast. I can't eat my snack in between. I can't eat lunch. Man, I'm starving. That is a long morning. Well, the Bible says Jesus, he prayed and he fasted. He was in the desert by himself for 40 days and for 40 nights. What does the devil do? He comes in and he attacks him where he's vulnerable. First of all, he's alone. That's vulnerable in itself. Second of all, he's hungry. So the devil comes and he says, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, if you really are the Son of God, if you really are the promised Messiah, tell these stones to become bread. He tempts them. Jesus withstood the temptation and he said the words, man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word of God. Three times Jesus was tempted. All three times he stood behind scripture that he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. And he overcame his temptation, but... The devil does the same thing to you. Some of you, your weakness is lust. Some of your weakness is women. Some of your weakness is men. Some of your weakness is money. Some of you, it's anger. For some of you, it's your insecurity. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. Hey, listen. The Bible says be sober and alert because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Be sober and alert. Half the battle is knowing what your weakness is. The other half is staying away from it. Setting yourself up for success. I'm weak in that area. I cannot go to that area. I'm not talking about geographically only, but also emotionally. I got to stay away. I got to keep focused on my mission. Solomon said in Proverbs 4.25, he said, keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Let's look at key number three. Key number three is simply I need to walk the walk. 
walk the walk. There's a lot of people do a lot of talking, but there's not enough walking. When I was a kid, I used to have a shirt that said, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? I always had a little bit of an attitude, still do, <laughs> clearly, is that you can talk the talk, can you walk the, it was a basketball t-shirt. I love basketball because it's the only sport that will be in heaven. Sorry, comma, I just say, you know, sorry, sorry, com. Hey, it's the only sport that will be in heaven is basketball. And uh, it's in the Bible. I saw it in second hallucinations. It says right in there. What do you think Psalm says? Enter his courts with praise. What do you think that means anyway? The crossover is a double meaning. The cross is over, the crossover. It's like, I can't think of any other sport with all these. Like, it's laced throughout the idea of the game. But I had this shirt. It said, you can talk to talk, but can you walk the walk? And I grew up playing basketball here in Phoenix. There was a park in the west side called Chicken Park. And it was where all the ballers went. For real, you can laugh, but it's where they all went. What's that even mean? hee <laughs> hee. I don't even know. This is where all the ballers went. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I'm just playing. Don't leave. But it was pretty common, man. We would go at noontime. We would stay in the summers till the place closed down. They'd turn the lights off at midnight. We kept playing. We'd turn our car headlights on just so we could keep playing. But it was almost always the same people. But I remember there was this one night where this guy showed up, man, everybody was like, we're dead. I mean, he was tall, he had a good build on him, he had the look, he had the shoes, he had the Jordan jersey. We're like, yep, we're dead. He got out there, he started trash talking. Does anybody like to trash talk like me? Let me see your hands. Like if we played in the game, you would trash talk. I love trash talk. He's trash talking, we're thinking like, you know what the only problem is? He had no game. He was horrible. Like horrible, like I'm not sure if he ever even played. He was really bad. You know, there's a lot of Christians like that. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. They talk a good game. They look the part. Oh, they come to church every now and then. And they amen the preacher. Amen, preacher. And they lift their hands and worship. They look the part. They talk a good game. They're putting on a good front. The problem is they don't walk the walk. They don't line up. They're two different people. There's one side of you that's the church person. And then there's the other side of you that nobody in your life would know that you even go to church. That, that's messed up. And so if we're going to really get off the fence for Jesus... In our life, we have to start walking this thing out and actually becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 with me. In verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, Spend your time and energy in training yourself for what? Spiritual fitness. You guys said that like it was such a drag. Spiritual fitness. <laughs> okay, train yourself for spiritual fitness. He says, physical exercise has some, I want you to circle the word some, some value. It does. 
But spiritual exercise, do you guys know what spiritual exercise is? Praying, reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, going to small group, tithing 10% of your income, serving in your church, telling people about Jesus, sharing your testimony about what God has done in your life. Spiritual exercise, spiritual exercise is much more important for it promises a reward in both this life and the next. And there's a lot of you <laughs> that are really, really into physical fitness. I mean, you really are like a fitness junkie. There's a lot of you who clearly are not. <laughs> but a lot of you are like rowdy with this, man. It's like five, six, seven, eight hours a day. I'm at the gym. I'm eating perfect, man. I got my body down to a science. I know what I should eat, what I shouldn't eat. I know how many carbs I've consumed and proteins I've consumed. And I mean, I am all about the physical fitness. We know who you are because you post yourself every day on Instagram. You're like, look, there's a new muscle I found. <laughs> yeah, we see that every day. And I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of your physical body. You should because the Bible says that this earthly body that we've been given, it's an earthly temple given to us by the Lord. And we should take care of it. Not just the external, but more importantly, the internal. Spiritual fitness. So yeah, man. Oh, don't I look good? Look at me, man. I look so good, man. Everybody. I am a physical fitness just animal. That's great. You work hard, work your tail off. Kill yourself looking amazing in the body that you'll have for the next, oh, 80 years tops. All that work for what? Bury that bag of skin in the ground. That's a lot of work. What a, what, I mean, boy, that's, I'm not saying don't take care of your body. But what he's saying, he said, he said, it says that physical fitness has some value. But it's your spirit, man, that lives forever and ever. If you memorize a verse in the Bible today, you will still know that verse a thousand years from now in eternity. If you memorize the entire Bible, you would know it. The day you walked into heaven, it goes with you. Spiritual fitness has eternal value. So he's calling us to a higher dimension in Christ. Look, it's, it's time to walk this thing out. It's time to get disciplined in Christ. That's what a disciple is, by the way, is their discipline in Christ. Let's look at this next verse because it's pretty powerful. If, if you ever want a trainer, you know when you go to the gym? Has anybody ever used a trainer? Raise your hand. You've used a trainer? How many of you like those like trainers that are like in your face? They're like, give me another one, you know? They're yelling. Is anybody like those kind? I like those kind. I like them just to you know, rip my face off. How many of you, you don't like those kind at all? You want them to be sweet? That's okay. You're done. That's fine. I know you can't do another one. It's okay. 
try again tomorrow. How many like that kind? Like a real nice? Okay, so I like the in-your-face one. If you want an in-your-face spiritual trainer, it's the book of 1 John. 1 John, he don't play. Like he is going after you becoming spiritually fit. Look what he says in 1 John 1, 6. He says, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. He says in the second chapter, he says, if someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar <laughs> and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And that's how we know that we are living in him. Those who say that they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So he's talking about walking the walk. It's time to live this thing out. Key number four is to be bold and unashamed. I know there's a lot of people that go to church that are embarrassed to pray for their meal in public. You know how that is? It's like you're at work and you're going to eat lunch and your coworkers are around and you kind of like, thank you for this food, amen. It's just like, like, God forbid anybody saw your eyes closed and your head bowed. God forbid somebody thought, wow, that is a woman of God, a man of God. Then there's people like me. I really don't care what you think. I'm going to pray when I want to pray, how I want to pray. Listen, everybody else is standing up for everything else in this world. It's about time we stand up for Jesus Christ today. I mean, we're standing up for all kinds of crazy stuff. I preached a sermon in California. They're trying to make you feel like a punk if you ask for a straw. A straw, a freaking straw, like straws are destroying the world. I can go get a joint on any corner in California, but God forbid I ask for a straw at Starbucks. Yeah, it's a straw. Can I get a straw? No. You want a joint? Can I suck my drink through it? If so, maybe. It's just... And then, you know, they, they, they try to give you them cardboard, have you? What? Drink liquid out of cardboard? I'm sorry, but California is the epitome of hypocrisy. There's plastic everywhere. They don't outlaw bottled water. You know what I'm saying? I'm mean, like, they got boats floating all over the ocean full of plastic. People stand up for weird things, man. We got activists standing up for the craziest things. Craziest things. God forbid I stand up and get some backbone and take a stance, bold and unashamed for Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm a man of God. Yes, I'm a woman of God. Yes, I pray for my meal at my lunchtime. There's a verse in Romans 1.16. I want to read it to you and then give you the context. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I'm not ashamed because it is God's power that leads people to the cross. I'm not ashamed. The context of this is what blows me away. Because Paul wrote this book, Romans, to the church in Rome that was under relentless persecution. And it's important to understand Rome at the time was the most powerful city in the world. It was the capital of the Roman Empire. It was the centerpiece of power. It had a large population, but it was also corrupt and evil and given to its lust and its greed, its greed and its self-indulgence. The leader, as you probably know, was Caesar Nero. He was a wicked, evil man. He was psycho. He was insane, full of the devil. Nero killed Christians, but he made a game of it. So if you were found to be a man of God or a woman of God in Rome at this time when this letter was written, he would take Christians, clothe them in, clothe them in animal skins, put them in a coliseum with a coliseum full of people, and then put another real animal in there so it would eat them alive for everybody's entertainment. This is a wicked man. This was a wicked, wicked man. In fact, not only that, but he would cover Christians in pitch, light them on fire, and he would put them in his garden while he traveled around in his chariots just for fun. In order to get out of being killed, all you had to do was denounce Jesus and say that the emperor was God. Instead, many people were martyred for the cause of Christ. But the Christians who stood up boldly and unashamed and were martyred for the cause of Christ was the very reason that the spread of Christianity moved through Rome like wildfire. As was told that the blood of martyrs was actually the seed of the church. And Christianity, it spread through the Roman Empire because men and women of God weren't silent about it, so much so that they were willing to die for it. It not only spread through the Roman Empire, but it became legal and eventually became the official religion of Rome. But my context is, based on what I see, we live in America. And there's a lot of pansy Christians there's a lot of lukewarm Christians. There's a lot of people that are riding the fence. 
You're not going to be persecuted. You're not going to be put in jail. You're not going to lose your life. You're not even going to be made fun of. And it's time for the church of God to rise up and to start making an impact and to get some backbone and to go public with their faith. Their faith in Jesus Christ because somebody's eternal life depends on it. Somebody's hope depends on it. Somebody's freedom from addiction depends on it. Somebody's marriage restoration depends on it. Some fatherless child's life depends on it. To be bold. To be unashamed. Would you bow your heads with me? The Bible says the very words of Jesus in Luke 9, 26. He said this. He said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His glory. In Matthew 10, Jesus said the same thing. He said, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Today, there are some in here that you've been on the fence when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not hot, you're not cold, you got one foot in and one foot out. This message is for you. God wants you to get off the fence. 